We'll be starting in the first chapter of Romans here this morning. Let's see that God is glorified in the preaching of his word and the guarding of our hearts. Let's bow together. Father, your word is truth. You have revealed yourself to us in your word that we might know you, that we might believe in you, who you are, who you say that you are, that we might be your children. Oh God, we beg even now that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would help us to be conformed more and more to the likeness of your son that your word would have its way as you promise. We beg this in Jesus' name. Amen. From the moment our kids are old enough to talk, we teach them to say thank you. If parents did not train their children thusly, it is unlikely that the parents would ever hear those words. Why? Because we are innately selfish. I don't have to teach a little girl to wrench the doll from her friend's fingers. It is something she does naturally. A child thinks, you nourish me, you change my diaper, you play with me, you make me happy. And if you don't, I will explode in a temper tantrum for the ages. It's not in a child's fallen, self-absorbed nature to have eyes of gratitude toward the blessings that come her way. But it's not merely the kindnesses that come to a child that they don't get. Your son will buck against and resist your use of the word no. And the subsequent discipline that is brought to bear on the seat of learning. He should be grateful for such discipline, such loving, purposed training, but he's not. He doesn't get it. And what God has to say to us in his word about gratitude and thanksgiving is, is staggering and in a lot of ways countercultural. And we find in, as we hear the words of what God has to say, that we often are little better than children in our excessive me-centered world. So this, there's probably no better time than this on the heels of Thanksgiving and on the cusp of the Christmas season. Actually, today is the first Sunday in Advent to take a look at what it means to be thankful. Gratitude for the saint should be as natural as exhaling. It should be normal. But in reality, the giving of thanks, the heart of gratitude is something like little children we need to be spurred toward. And how grateful that God does that for us. Today we're only going to look at two things of the many things we could address with regard to thanksgiving. The first thing we'll look at and we will see is that gratitude is a barometer in our own hearts of our relationship with God. Second thing we will look at is that our gratitude glorifies God. So we're start out here in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 23, and see that 
Gratitude serves as a barometer to your relationship with God, a measure of your relationship with God. Now, what do I mean by that? A barometer, what's it do? It ebbs and flows with the pressure in the atmosphere, and it lets you know what is going to take place with the weather. Is it going to be stormy? Is it going to be clear? A barometer will pass that off to you, one of the best predictors of coming weather. Well, our gratitude toward God reveals the state and status of our relationship. Here in Romans chapter 1, we see a horrifying description of the state of natural man. We'll start in verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. God's wrath stands against the natural man. They revel in unrighteousness and they suppress the truth. And we see that God's, or excuse me, God's, the knowledge of God is knowable from the creation. The general revelation echoes God's voice, shows his fingerprints everywhere. You can't look into the heavens in the countryside and not be awed at night by the stars and constellations and the Milky Way spread out before us. You can't stare into the depths of the sea. Now, I've never, never been there, but to see the films and pictures of the things that are down there. You can't see the blaze of a New England fall. You can't examine the intricacies of human life. You can't stare at the Alps or the Tetons or the Grand Canyon you can't let the waves lap your toes on the shores of the Pacific and not see God. It's obvious that he is there. What can be known about God? Now, this is not in its entirety. You cannot know everything about God from the creation. You cannot fathom his mercy. You cannot get the full extent of his grace from the creation. But what can be known about God from the creation is obvious to anybody who has the image of God within them. And that is all of humanity. And Paul states specifically what things about God in verse 20 can be known. And that is his eternal power and his divine nature. Clearly perceived since the creation of the world. How is it they do not know? Man should turn and bow and be in awe of the living God. There are some passages in scripture that reveal why does man not just break out in the hallelujah chorus at the glories of God in nature? 
all around us. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, that we are blinded by the prince of the power of this world, by Satan. We are blinded by Satan, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4. Some simply reject God and they do not want his authority in their lives. Paul makes that plain in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 19, that some have rejected the gospel and shipwrecked their faith. Others in Mark 4.19 are choked by the cares of this world. Well, when are you going to get your Christmas shopping done? Okay. How important is that? Did you get your Christmas pictures made? Did you get your cards sent out? Ah, did you get the lights up? Paul tells us in Romans 1, that verse 21, that these are treasonous people. Though they knew God, they did not honor him. They know who the commander is and they reject him. They do not honor God as God, nor do they give him thanks. In a sense, this is like Hebrew poetry. These are complementary. If you do not give God thanks, you do not honor him. If you do not honor God, you are not giving him thanks. That is due to his name. Essentially the same way of saying, or different ways of saying the same thing. They're synonymous and symbiotic. Man ought to honor God. Why? There's something rather than nothing. There doesn't have to be anything. God didn't need to create anything. He had perfect unity within the Trinity. He doesn't need us. Why does turkey taste different than ribeye and different than bacon? Why is there man and woman? How can I even know God? Very interesting when you read through Job and you read about his travails. And Job pleads to have a, a time with God that let me get my questions answered. When Job does get time with God, Job doesn't get his questions answered. Or he does, but not in the way you would expect. In four chapters, 38 to 41, four chapters, God reveals himself to Job. There are four chapters of jaw-dropping majesty of who God is. Were you there when I did this? Are you the one who's keeping the stars in place? Do you keep the planets in alignment here around the sun? Are you doing that? Some of it is almost comical, revealing maybe that God does have a sense of humor. But these are things that ought to cause us to glorify and honor God. But not only should we just uh, give him honor that he's due, wow, that's fantastic, you're glorious, you're, mag you're majestic, you're omnipotent, omniscient, and all of these things, but we ought to give him thanks. As I mentioned, God's not under any obligation to you. He's not under obligation to give me my next breath. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. In Acts chapter 17, Paul declares to the Athenians on Mars Hill 
that it is God who has determined our seasons, the place of our being, the place of our existence. Why are you here? Because God has ordained that you be here. It is by his grace. You have your parents by his grace. You have your health and your challenges by his grace. Your job, your home, your vision, your hearing, your taste, your smell, your touch. By his grace. Thank you. Thank you. Now, being thankful is not the same thing as thanking. You can have a heart of gratitude for all that you have received, but until there is an individual to thank, your expression falls short of the fullness of thanksgiving. In not honoring God as God and not lavishing gratitude on him, man became a fool. Oftentimes, as we look in Romans, we want to go headlong into the sexual sin of Romans chapter 1 and go, oh, that's evil, that's terrible. It all starts with thankless hearts. It all starts with not honoring God as God, not giving thanks to him that he gives them then over to the lusts of their flesh. But as a believer, I'm susceptible to that same foolishness. I've said before, God, you know, at, at, at Eden, God could have said, that's it. I'm done. <clears throat> he didn't have to save eight in the ark. Could have just wiped out the whole mess and done away with the entire cosmos at that point. But he continues and he continues to remind us as a loving father to give him thanks. I quoted 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. You know, in our being, in our existence, we are to give God thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. In our being, to give thanks in all circumstances. In Colossians 3, verses 5, or 15 to 17, Paul highlights that the Colossians not only should give thanks in their being, but should give thanks in their doing. Colossians 3, 15 to 17, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Three times in that verse, Paul highlights that in our doings, we should be a thankful people. In our being, in our doing, and also in our praying, we should be thankful. In Philippians 4, do not be anxious for about anything, but in everything, 
by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There are two ways my thankfulness exposes the state of my soul. Thankfulness, a thankful soul is a seeing soul. As I mentioned, to be thankful requires a vector. You can't be thankful without someone to thank, Greg Kokel said. To say I am thankful, but to not have an object to project my thanksgiving upon is like declaring I'm in love, but not having a lover. You know, it's like, okay, oh, I'm really thankful. To whom? Mm. You're going to catch the secular world up short. To whom are you thankful? To be thankful to the cosmos is futility because it cares nothing about you. It just is. Gratitude demands a person to whom I direct my appreciation. It demands the joy of the one receiving the gratitude. And such a relationship, it heightens the whole situation. To give a thing is a joy to the person. To receive it with joy is a joy in that relationship. To then turn that joy into thanksgiving to the one who has given it shows an appreciation to them and further heightens the joy in the one who's given it. It's like a synergistic reaction into a beautiful thing. But not only is a, a thankful soul a seeing soul, it is a humble soul. Not only do I recognize the one who is giving, I recognize my need. I have to recognize that I'm nothing but a pauper or a beggar. You know, in our salvation, Jonathan Edwards says, we brought nothing but the sin that makes salvation necessary. I have nothing. You know, I, I, I'm not going to turn around to God and, and this will come up in Psalm 50 and give him a, a gift card. It's like giving Elon, Elon Musk a gift card. It's like, dude, I don't need this. I've got, I've got everything. What he wants is thanksgiving. I don't pay God back. I can't. In all matters, apart from God, I have only need. Such an attitude of gratitude humbles us rightly at the throne of God and we worship the one who beckons us to come. Why does, why does he command our thanksgiving? Doesn't that cheapen it to command it? I mean, can thankfulness really be commanded? Well, I'm commanded to love my wife. Can I love my wife truly, even though it's commanded? Absolutely. You know, it should naturally flow from my heart. Thanksgiving should naturally flow from my heart, but it doesn't because we're broken. We know this. My flesh glories in me. And God knows that our glorying in ourselves will lead to our death and destruction. And only in him do we find our fullness. And he desires our good. 
Only in our proper relationship to him will we find that wholeness. He is the target to which we ought aim our whole lives. This is why we are commanded to love. Not because God is vain and egomaniacal, but we were created for him. And so he says, love me, give thanks to me. He desires us to glorify him and bask in his glory. And so are we going to orient our lives to that end? And that takes us to the second point, And that is when we are thankful, that glorifies God. Flip over to Psalm 50. A great psalm. We're going to just touch on a few things here, a few aspects of this psalm. I would encourage you to take time and sit in it. Sit in Psalm 50 and consider all of its verses. Right off the bat in verse 2, we see that God is the perfection of beauty. What a great statement. Verses 3 to 4 highlight the sovereignty of God. David read this for us earlier. His righteousness in 5 and 6. Verse 7, hear, O my people, I will speak. I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Interesting point. Whether you recognize it or not, whether you bow the knee or not, I am God, your God. To all of creation, God can say, to all of humanity, God can say, I am God, your God. Whether you bow the knee or not. In verses 9 through 13, again, this is, this is one of those sections when you read it, you, you almost have to chuckle. You, you almost see the sense of humor in God. Kind of, this is the Elon Musk thing. You're bringing me sacrifices? You're bringing me gift cards? Really? <laughs> it's all mine. It's all mine. What do I desire from you? Yes, I've set up a sacrificial system. Yes, there's a purpose behind it. But you're just, I brought the sacrifice and away I go. You missed the point. I would love for you just to stop and give me thanks. Just say thank you. Verse 14, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the most high. That's what he desires, thanksgiving. He says, call on me in the day of trouble. Now, a lot of us will think, erroneously in one of two ways we'll go ah you know uh, this is so pitiful this is such a petty thing i don't want to trouble god with that think back to philippians 4 what does god tell us to pray about in everything in everything through prayer and petition make your requests known to the lord be anxious for nothing but in everything what's god want you to bring to him yes all of it. We might go, well, it's selfish. You know what? He's going to orient your mind aright. Oh, God, I really want that Porsche. 
He's going to, if he loves you, if you are his child, he is going to discipline your mind rightly to go, that is futile and foolish for you to wish for these things or he might give it to you, which may be worse. You might think you're undeserving. Well, I don't deserve it. You're right, you don't. You never will. And God says, come, ask, seek in everything. And he says in 15, I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Now, how's he gonna deliver me? I don't know. It may be to a cross. It may be to a stake. It may be, I can't imagine the ways that he might deliver me. Isaiah 43, through the fire, through the flood, through the storm. But God will see you through. He has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he says, when this happens, you shall glorify me. As you go through this with a thankful heart to the living God, you are going to bring glory to him. It's not just in God answering prayers that he deserves glory for. Even our asking God glorifies him because it shows our dependence on him and our love for him and our trust of him. It recognizes his sovereign hand, his omnipotence and our impotence. It recognizes that he delights to serve us. You know, if somebody came to you because you had a particular skill and asked you to help them out, somebody you cared about, I'm sure you would love to help them. Uh, you know, that wouldn't be your attitude. You'd be sure. Absolutely. How much more our God and Father? Verses 16 to 22 highlight the Romans 1 picture of the mess of humanity to the wicked, God says. I'm not going to spend time in here. Touch on a few things. They hate discipline in verse 17. They cast his word behind them. Also in verse 17. And they do not honor God as God. You who forget God in verse 22. And he ends this psalm on the same note as the middle of the psalm. He, he ends it with thanksgiving. Now, some of the translations may have praise. The, the one who offers praise as his sacrifice glorifies me. It's the same word as thanksgiving. So the same Hebrew word in verse 23 and verse 14 are the same. That is the same word. Thanksgiving and praise to the Lord. You will glorify me. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. You know, if we raced through Thursday and gorged and footballed 
and slid into Black Friday and came out of it into more football on Saturday and up here we are. And we have not really sat and considered those things for which we are thankful. Are we any different than the pagans of Romans 1? When we are thankful, we honor God as God. He delights to lavish his love upon us. And he greatly delights when we turn back and are thankful to him and find our delight in him. Now, it's not easy because we suffer in this world under the sun. And we are hit and we are enticed by things of this world. And so we take the call of God, we take the word of God, and we rightly orient ourselves to that. Our hope has to extend beyond this room. Our hope has to extend beyond this time to eternity to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Will I be thankful if I face an untimely death like Jan Hus of the Reformation or William Tyndale or Dietrich Bonhoeffer or Jim Elliott? You go, these people all died before their time, but oftentimes it is in their death that often God does even greater things. How many missionaries went to the field because of the death of Jim Elliott? Who would know of Dietrich Bonhoeffer today had he not been executed by Adolf Hitler? Johnny Erickson. You know, to hear Johnny speak about her quadriplegia, she glorifies God in that because it brought her to understand God as supreme in her life. And oftentimes we think about our tragedies from Johnny's perspective. But I was thinking about it from the perspective of the parent, her mom and dad, when their daughter is lying in a hospital in traction, unable to move. My daughter is never going to walk again. You know, what, what kind of life will she have? And as a parent at that time, it's like, oh, man, God, where are you in this? I don't get it. And to look now over the years at what God has done through the life of Johnny Erickson, you go, that's amazing. You know, and I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Let's not all go out and dive and hit our head on a rock. And I don't wish that on anybody, but God is there. Can I thank God today in the cancer ravaging my son? It's dark. It's not easy. But if God is God, he's not trying to figure this out. He has purpose. He has plan. He has good. And he calls me and you to trust him and to give thanks in all circumstances. And it starts with simple things. I have a friend, her name is Kathleen Duncan. And on Face Place this last week, 
She wrote, this evening I wrote out a few things I'm grateful for. Not because it's November, but because it's good for me to do periodically. Try it. For five minutes, write anything you are grateful for. No filters, no reasoning, just writing. Sit down. She sat, sat down with a sheet of paper and started writing. 181 things she came up with. Some of them were really meaty, and some of them were pretty trivial. But they were things for which she gave thanks to God for. And if you know Kathleen Duncan, she's not had an easy life. Nine years ago, her son was killed because of drunk driving. But God is kind and God is good. So as we launch headlong into this holiday season, let's take time to take stock. What does my attitude reflect about my heart and my relationship with Jesus Christ? Does my heart overflow to the glory of God or is it cold and stony? Saint, here's the deal. You may go, man, mine's really wanting. Don't cower in your shame. He knows you are but dust. Rush to the throne of grace and give thanks that you can, even giving thanks all the way. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see.